Uh, well, hey, we're thrilled to, to have you here and to have you join us tonight. And so um, we are actually launching into a brand new series called Parables. And uh, parables are these stories that Jesus told and that have kind of passed the test of time. And in a lot of ways, they kind of encapsulate what Jesus really desires and dreams for your life, for my life, for us to understand kind of the, the ways of God, the heart of God, kind of what God desires for you and uh, what he has planned and kind of say, here's the kingdom way of living, uh, if you will. And in a lot of ways, parables are these stories that sometimes get uh, kind of jumbled up in a way that people sometimes use these parables to say things that maybe they weren't really intended to say. And so you have to understand a parable when you go to read it and when you go to try to understand it. And so we wanna walk through uh, for the next four or five weeks just some different parables of what Jesus taught and what does it have to do to say about life. Now, you may be here and someone had kind of drug you here and you're kind of maybe coming back into church and I think it's awesome that you're here. In fact, I think it's incredibly courageous of you to own your spiritual journey and to, to kind of look at this place and to look at this Jesus and say there's something about him that has been attractive throughout history and what would it look like to begin to understand maybe a little bit more about him and parables I think is gonna be a series that might help you begin to see him in a way that is beautiful to you in a way that maybe helps you understand where Jesus is at and where he's coming from, what he's driving to uh, in life. And so uh, there's a sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, most popular spot, Matthew 5 through 7. It's also in Luke, but Matthew 5 through 7 is this sermon that we mentioned last week as we finished up the case for Christ, was the sermon that Jesus gave often. In fact, it's probably his most famous sermon if you were to put kind of a famous scale to it type thing. It's one that he would have given many, many times and traveled throughout as a traveling rabbi and given this. And at the end of this, par- at the end of this story, this sermon that he gives, he tells the story of the wise and foolish builder. And so I want us to kind of look into that parable this evening, but I want us to understand uh, a little bit about what Jesus is driving to in the Sermon on the Mount. He's really talking about this idea of becoming a follower, becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now, if you've never read anything from Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, uh, he writes extensively about uh, the Sermon on the Mount and extensively about what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Uh, in a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And as I was kind of studying prepping for this week, here's a quote that really stuck out to me as he was talking about this idea of discipleship because it's different than just labeling yourself a Christian. We have a lot of people in our culture who would label themselves a Christian. But the reality is to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus is a little bit different and it's actually what Jesus is driving to in this parable, this story that we're gonna look at that he tells. And here's what Dallas has to say about this whole idea of discipleship and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. He says this, one can be a professing Christian and a church member in good standing without being a disciple. That there's a possibility of being like not one and the same. There is apparently today a real uh, disconnection between being a Christian and being a disciple of Jesus. He goes on, he reads this, uh, writes this, becoming a disciple does not mean doing a few religious things once a week and leaving the rest of your life unchanged. Authentic discipleship transforms all aspects of life every day, at work, at home, and in all and every relationship. There's this challenge becoming uh, a disciple and a follower of Jesus that has ramifications and has a ripple effect 
into your life and into your living. It's what we see in the lives of the disciples, uh, mess ups and all. This beginning change that happened in them, it's the change that God wants to see in our lives. And so as we get to this story, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter seven uh, toward the very end. If you're not, uh, we have version notes. You can follow along on that. Uh, if you just go to version, open up a Bible app, click on events, type in Element City Church, you can find all those scriptures and notes that we'll look at there. But here's this story that Jesus tells as he unpacks this wise and foolish builder. He's just finished this really long sermon and it's driving to one point. He tells a story to kind of encapsulate the whole thing. Here it is. Everyone that hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and he does them is like a wise man or a wise woman, a wise person who builds their house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man, foolish woman, a foolish person who built their house upon the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So he tells the story. Matthew goes on, records a couple other verses that give us a little bit of insight to people who have been listening to this whole sermon. Here's what he says. He goes on. Matthew, the writer of the gospel, records, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their teachers or scribes. They were astonished after hearing this sermon. There was something about what Jesus said, the way he said it, who he was, how he conducted himself, how he held himself, that said there's something different. They were astonished. In Greek, the word astonished literally means astonished. It's amazing. Um, And so it's this idea that they're astonished, that he taught with this authority. And this idea in Greek is this idea of saying, hey, he didn't cite other people. In rabbinical teaching, you would always kind of cite other rabbis. You would cite other teachers, and you would say, this is why we do this, because so-and-so, and because so-and-so. Jesus didn't teach that way. In fact, he gets in, he tells this story. What's interesting about parables, this is kind of a side-by-side story. Uh, he does this a few times in a parable. Probably the most famous one is the prodigal son and the elder brother. This side-by-side story. What you have to understand is you have to understand, okay, what's the same in this side-by-side story and what's different? Because in that difference, in some of the similarities, that's where you begin to see this transition happen and what he's really trying to drive home here. And so he tells this story. He has a story of this wise person, he says, who listens to my words, is like this wise person who builds a house on what? On a rock, right? Builds his house on a rock. There's a couple interesting things that happens here. What's some similarities? What Jesus is saying is, look, everybody's a house builder. And really what he's driving to is everyone's building something. You are building something. You may not be building a house right now, but you are building a life. And that's really where Jesus is driving. He's saying, Everyone builds. It's not an option not to build. You don't have to default to not build something. You are building a house. In a lot of ways, he's saying you're building a life. And how you build that life matters. And so he says there's this comparison between this wise and this foolish builder. This wise person listens to my words and he he does them. He's like this wise person that builds a house on a rock. 
Well, the other side-by-side story is the one who kind of listens to these words and doesn't do them. He's like this foolish builder that builds this house. And what we understand here is everyone builds a house. Everyone's building a life. You are, your neighbor is, your wife is, your spouse is, your kids are. Everybody you know is building a life. The question becomes how? How are they building it? How are you building it? How am I building it? What are we building it on? How are we going about construction of building this life that we're all doing? It's based on the decisions and the choices and the, 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 the things that we kind of can do and can control, things sometimes that we can't control that come into our life and how we react to those and how we navigate through that. We're building a life. You don't get to not build a life. You are building one. So that's what he's driving home. Now, there's another part that's similar in this story. This story is not about weather patterns. This story is not about, okay, who's a good meteorologist. Uh, This is not a story about kind of what's gonna happen. This story is laying out that the reality is, is as you build a life, storms will come. It's not if they come, it's not maybe they'll come, it's this reality that storms are a part of life. How many would raise your hand and say, amen, storms have been a part of my life, right? We're all there. Whether it was a small little rain-soaked storm or whether it was a hurricane. And if it was you and I sitting at Starbucks having coffee and you could unpack the hurricane that you're either in or have lived through or maybe one that's brewing. You'd say, yeah, storms of life are real. They're a reality of it. Everyone's gonna face them. And so Jesus is driving home this idea of how do you go about building a life? He's been preaching for this whole sermon. And he's wrapping it up in one conclusion, in one story that's trying to drive home something. To say, look, you are building a life. Storms will come. So it matters how you build. This is a song, uh, kind of a story that points to a lot of what the psalmist write about. In fact, you can look through the psalmist uh, and find 28 times where they record that the Lord, or Yahweh, is our rock. In fact, you look throughout scripture, you'll find that all over the place, of references referring to God as our rock. Like Psalm 18:2 that says this, the Lord is my rock, my fortress. He's my deliverer. The God is my rock in whom I take refuge. It's this foundation that Jesus is saying, look, someone who builds their life on my words, on how I model to do life, on how I say about life, and what I have to say about the areas of life that you have to navigate. You're like the person, if you live that out, who builds their house on a solid foundation. But if you hear my words and you don't put them into practice, well, then it's gonna go differently for you. And we said maybe even in this last series, especially if you're kind of new to faith and investigating faith, you you hear those words and you go, well, who does Jesus think he is? (laughs) Jesus, that's who he thinks he is. Um, Because that Brussels kind of pushes back against us. We don't like just one person telling us this is the way it's gotta be. Uh, We're like, we'll figure it out ourselves because that's how we do things. We'll trial and error, we'll we'll go on and go in our own way, but Jesus is really kind of pushing something here. In fact, all throughout chapter seven, he's pushing something here. 
as he's kind of driving home and coming to the end of the sermon, trying to help people understand. And what he does here is really raise a powerful question. If we don't build our life on what Jesus says, and him is the foundation, then you are ultimately building your life on something because we are all building a life. You don't get to opt out of that. There's no default button to that. And so what are you building your life on? I know a lot of people who build their life on a career. And they live for that career, they give everything for that career, they sacrifice for that career, and they love it and they do really, really well until that whole career field dries up. And suddenly, the thing they've been building their whole life around crumbles in on them. I know people that build their whole life around their family. And that's a great thing, and we should honor our families, but if that's everything that you have and nothing else, what happens when drama and trauma comes into the family? What if you build your life on your health and then one day you wake up to the phone call? What if you build your life on money or the pursuit of pleasure or your accomplishments and your achievements that you can have? What if you build a life just on your hobbies and what you want in life? I think if we're honest, if you kind of go there, you begin to say those don't seem like very good things to build a life on. So what are you building your life on? Now, (coughs) Amy and I live in a D.R. Horton home, right? So this is the the plans to our house, which were pretty cool when we originally started building this house about 14 years ago. And you can go through and you can look at all the different architectural drawings of the first floor and the second floor and see all the kind of stuff that's happening. And what was great is when we drove out to the site, anyone ever had your house built before? And you'd travel out there and you'd see this house kind of going up and it really never felt like a home until kind of the walls went up, right? And once the walls started going up and then they started getting kind of the windows begin to put into placement and you started getting a little bit excited, right? And you started kind of looking at this drawings and looking at kind of the dreaming the visions of how your, maybe your future kids would run down the hall. And we have this banister where you looked, okay, this, this stairwell. We don't want a pony wall. We want these railings so we can see through and make sure kids aren't choking each other. And so like we want to be able to do this. And so we have this in there. We have these light fixtures that we go and we want to see. We have these rounded corners because that sounded cool. And we have all this stuff. It was amazing to see the house built. And when we got the keys, and we walked in, and we saw everything that it had, it was an amazing thing. But I never really stopped to think about the very first thing that was built, which is what? The foundation. And it kind of drives to this point. I've had friends who live in a subdivision that was built near a quarry. And you know what happened? A few years into their house being built there, cracks started happening. Sinkholes started developing in their neighborhood. And these were gorgeous homes. But you couldn't live in them because the whole foundation was cracked. There would be a crack from the middle of the street going all the way back through the middle of their house into their backyard. And here's what you begin to to forget or maybe begin to discover in that moment, 
is it doesn't matter what adornments or what architecture or what accessories you have in your house if the foundation won't hold it up. See, we all build a life. You get to choose how you build it. I get to choose how I build it. And Jesus is driving home this parable, this story to say, look, it matters how you build your life. And you can accessorize all you want, but if you don't have the right foundation, when the storms come and the winds blow and the waters rise, your house, your life won't stand because it can't. It can't stand up to the the trauma that's coming. It can't stand up to the things that are unfolding around this. And Jesus is driving home to this point. In fact, if you look back at Matthew chapter seven, you begin to see all the little stories that he's weaving in here as he's finishing up this sermon. If you listen to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, here's what you begin to see. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate, but there's no third gate. There's a narrow road and there's a wide road, but there's no third road. There's a good tree and there's a bad tree, but there's no other tree. There's true disciples, there's false disciples. There's no other category. There's a house built on a rock, and there's a house built on sand, but there isn't a house built somewhere else. And what is Jesus driving home? Well, he says the answer. The people who are hearers and doers of my word, they are the ones that build their house, that build their life on a solid foundation, one that's big enough to handle the storms of life. What Jesus is really driving to is he wants us to choose. That's what he's driving home in all of this chapter seven. He wants you to choose. Will you be an admirer of him from a distance? Or will you be a follower of him in each decision that you have in front of you? Will you be more than just one who knows what Jesus would do and knows what Jesus would say? Will you actually not just admire that and go, that's really good, and that's nice, and that sounds really awesome, but will you be a person who actually walks this out, who follows through on this, who wrestles this with this? Uh, I wanna teach you a word, uh, <coughs> funambulist, if you've never heard of that word, is a tightrope walker. Uh, maybe you've seen uh, acrobats who walk on tight ropes. If you've ever heard of a, an old one back in the 1850s, uh, maybe you've heard this story before, but Charles Blondin was a, a real famous tightrope walker who came in the 1850s, got fascinated by Niagara Falls, and stretched a cord, uh, a tightrope, if you will, that he wanted to walk, and eventually he actually kind of walked on this about 300 times, back and forth, 1,100 feet across, 160 feet above Niagara Falls. Now, anyone ever been to Niagara Falls before? Um, how would you describe it? Big, right? It's just big, lots of water, fast, okay? Just lots of things going. Uh, there's no safety nets at Niagara Falls, right? 
And so Charles would kind of had a flair about him, and he would often just kind of walk out there. Crowds would come and gather around. He would uh, roll wheelbarrows full of potatoes across and back. He would sometimes take a chair out there and balance on one leg and stand on the chair to the amazement of people who would clap and cheer, uh, some who were probably there to see if he would die, if he would fall. Uh, One time he took a little stove out and sat in the middle and actually cooked an omelet and lowered it to a boat below for the person to eat breakfast. Built a fire on a rope. That's weird, okay. But like he would just do things like this. And eventually he would do all these different things like push a wheelbarrow, like I said, full of potatoes and one time he comes back and he, he asked people, hey, do you believe I could do this? And people cheered wildly, yes, we believe you could do this. And he said, who would ride with me? Who wants a piggyback ride? across, and nobody ever took him up on it, except one person, an assistant of his, who had watched him do it a long time, and a lot of times, who hopped on his back, and they walked from one side to the other, and then back, and people were amazed. And the truth is, that's a lot of us at times. It's a lot of me at times. Jesus, I believe that your words are awesome, that they really lead to the best possible way to live life. All right, hop in the wheelbarrow. Whoa, Jesus. Uh, I don't know. You want me to kind of like manage my money your way? (laughs) Jesus, um, this person has really hurt me a lot of times. And, uh, you know, this whole idea of forgiveness, that's awesome in the Bible, that's really cool. And I think it's awesome that you do that, but like, for me to actually live this out now, that's where I'm kind of drawing the line. I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow there. God, I know what you have to say about life and what you have to say about my sexuality, what you have to say about how this lives out, and, but you don't understand the world in which we live and you don't understand what the challenges of this God, I understand what you have to say about the way I use my tongue and the way that we use our speech, and, and yet you don't seem to understand the way this world works is you just, you just do this. It's, it's how it unfolds, and yet all throughout every area of your life and mine, there's this great challenge that Jesus is building in a very simple story, and he says, do you believe that I can help you live the best possible life. Yes, Jesus, I believe. Then get in the wheelbarrow. Put your money where your mouth is. Like, actually step out and do this. This is a great challenge. See, we're all building a life. You don't get to opt out of that. But it matters on what you're building it on. Your foundation matters most. We will each face storms in life. I know for some of you, you've faced some storms that you wouldn't wish on your enemy. And I'm really sorry. I wish that didn't play out. I I wish that storm didn't blow into your harbor. But I know it did. But here's what I know from people who I've watched, who have built their foundation on Jesus himself, and to the best of their ability in the moment they're in, trying to walk this out of following his example, is they've discovered that Jesus is greater than any storm. 
And it doesn't mean the storms stop. And it doesn't mean the storms pass. It just means they're able to get through it. And they actually are able to get through it and come out better on the other side, even if they would never want to do that on their own. See, what differentiated people in this side-by-side story is that both heard, but only one did. See, it all begins with a decision to say, Jesus, I'm gonna base my life on you, not another philosophy, not another plan that the world puts out here that says this is the way to live the best possible kind of life. Jesus says, if you'll follow me, that's what I want you to do. See, for Charles Blondin to stand up on a tightrope and walk across, and for people to clap and cheer, that's a fun thing. Jesus finishes the sermon, and Matthew records that people were astonished. They were amazed. But listen, Jesus never came and never asked you to be amazed by him. The only question I can find from Jesus in the scripture is what he says to us is, follow me. Whether you're amazed or not, Jesus isn't looking for you to be amazed by him. What he's looking for is for you to follow him. Which means on a Monday that you would learn to say, you know what? How do I practice praying for my enemies? Friends, I'm convinced our culture needs more of that than ever, ever. We're really good at throwing stones at enemies. We're really good at pointing out enemies, but we are not very good at praying for our enemies. You know what happens when you pray for your enemies? God tends to change your heart. That's where this stuff starts to walk out. That's where you begin to look at your resources, your time, uh, the treasure that you have, and you say, God, I'm a manager. I'm not an owner. And we live in a culture that pushes us and and trains us from when we're wee little to be the owner of everything and to get everything you can. We don't live in a culture that says you're a manager of the stuff God's gifted you with and given you the ability to achieve and, and acquire. So what does it look like to follow Jesus' pattern and to say, I'm gonna be a manager? What does it look like to have forgiveness flow on a regular basis in your life? What does it look like to seek out forgiveness and not wait for the other person to apologize? What does it look like to begin to, to walk this out in the everyday decisions that we have. See, it starts with a decision of saying, Jesus, you're gonna be the rock I build my life on. And now, when the tug of wars come, and they will come, in fact, they'll come tomorrow. The tug of wars of culture that says, no, 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 you need to live life this way, and it's pulling with all of its might to teach you or to train you or to get you to make a decision that's contrary to what Jesus says, this is the best possible way to live if you follow me that when those tug of wars come, you're able to say, no, I'm not gonna be drug off that way. I'm following Jesus. 
in what he has to say about life, what he has to say about resources, what he has to say about relationships, what he has to say about how I use my words. This is where I make a decision and where I begin to choose. That when the storms of life come, because they will come, when you begin to teeter and begin to feel that wind blowing, that in those moments you recognize, no, I've built my house on Jesus and he's a firm foundation. When the storms come, I don't have to be overcome because he's with me. He tends to walk on waves and speak to storms so they shut up. So I'm good with him. He's with me and I'm with him. And that's how I want to live out life. It's interesting, I don't know if you, as a kid, if you ever had one of those, um, those inflatable uh, balloon clown things that you'd have that you'd punch and would fall over and then bounce back up again. Uh, I don't even know what you call them anymore, but I had one of those as a kid. It was super fun. It was just kind of boxing buddy or something like that that you'd, you'd just pound the tar out of it, and every time it would go down and hit the ground, it would come right back up. Why did it do that? It's real simple, right? In the bottom of it, it had what? It had sand, right? It had this extra weight in the bottom of it that no matter how many times you hit it and it wouldn't fall over, it would pop back up because it had the extra weight in the bottom. Maybe that's a better description of a Christian than anything I know. This idea that you have the extra weight of Jesus, that you built your life on him, and that he's in your life, and he's the weight that will stand any little punch or blow that comes your way in life. When you choose to say, God, I'm gonna build my life on you, you're the solid foundation, Jesus. And in my Mondays, the best I know how, I wanna choose decisions that are kinda aimed in aligning my life with you. And on Wednesday morning, and on Thursday night, and on Friday night, and on Saturday morning, I'm doing the best I can in the moment I'm in to choose to build my life on you. Because listen, we're all building a life. And you're building it on something. The beauty is you get to choose what you build your life on. And so we're gonna roll on in service and take a a few minutes for communion here. And we kind of do this every week. I'm gonna pray for us here in a moment. Invite the team to come back up and lead us in a song after that. But in this space and in this moment, here's the question for you to wrestle with. Going into this week, what are you building your life on? What are you building your life? What's the foundation? Because sometimes it's easy to get caught up looking at all the accessories and the adornments and the architecture of our life of what we're creating and we forget that it's the foundation that matters most. And Jesus is saying, build your life on me. And so as we pause for a moment of communion, if you want to take it, you're welcome to. Uh, We've got a couple of communion stations here in the the middle and down front, gluten-free crackers down here if you need that. If you just want to sit and reflect and think a little bit, feel free to do that. And just take a couple minutes to think about and chew on, what am I building my life on? Are there some areas of your life that you've been building it on something that you're choosing, something that you're kind of going after, what the world's kind of saying, and you're saying, Jesus, I want to redirect that. I want to get that built back onto your foundation. And maybe have a moment with God to kind of weigh that out a little bit. And so Father, as we take communion here, we remember Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection, 
that you made a way, that was your body broken, your blood shed, that we might have life with you. And you want us to live in awe of you, but you didn't come for us to be amazed by you. You came and you asked us, follow me. And Jesus, what you're driving home in this wise and foolish builder is we have a choice to make. And it's either we do it or we don't. There's not a third option. And so for each one of us here, we're maybe at different spots, different seasons of life, I pray that you would, you would nudge our heart into our next step that we need to take with you. As we worship you in a song in a minute, we just wanna leave our hearts and lift them to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you wanna speak into our life and that you have the power to withstand every storm of life and that you promise never to leave us nor forsake us. As we lean on you, that you are greater than this world and that we can depend on you. So would you speak to us in these moments? We ask that in your name, amen.